Heels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Gregan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be and to be G'day and welcome to the Green and Gold Rugby Show. We're the show getting you over the game line in all things Aussie rugby. I'm Matt Rowley. I'm in for reg, Rugby Reg tonight because, well, we lost on the weekend. And when that happens, generally speaking, the Reds or the Wallabies, then you probably won't find Reg um, hosting the podcast. I hope you get well soon, Reg. Um, we are actually supported uh, this season by the New South Wales Waratahs. A lot of people might not know that, um, but they're helping to keep the hamster uh, going in the cage to keep the lights on at Green and Gold Rugby. They've thrown in a bit of lettuce and a few carrots, um, and we're very, very grateful for them. So if you can get your ass down to the next home game, which I think is 7th of July, um, when this festival of international rugby um, is over, um, you can get along and see a TMO hold up a Super Rugby game instead of international one. But uh, we're going to we're going to be hitting our uh, five burning questions pretty soon. But first, I'm going to introduce two regulars to the podcast. First of all, uh, Mr. Hugh Cavill, mate, welcome back. Thank you. Pleasure to be joining you tonight. Yeah, well, thanks for making the trip, even though we lost on the weekend. It's good to have some people fronting up no matter what. <laughs> well, you know what? I think it's just good. Uh, Reg, uh, have a week off and let's build some combinations without our key playmakers uh, coming into the World Cup. Exactly. So, look, uh, and then also, he's foregoing beauty sleep for your edification. It's uh, Jamie Miller all the way from the US of A. Jamie, Day, mate. Hi. The amount of sass I get on this podcast is, is, is really an extra feature that they don't mention, you know, at the top <laughs> of the show. But it's, 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 it's something that other podcasters can't quite offer. It doesn't like it's the sort of you don't that's your payment you get your payment in terms of uh, in terms of rubbishing on the email if you don't turn up um, yeah it's what it you feel, would come to expect it feels like an abusive relationship I'm not going to lie <laughs> that's the way we like to keep it it's the only way we can keep people engaged with the podcast um, look okay let's get into these five burning questions it could be a bit of a half an hour of power tonight we think um, uh, being in mourning as we are for the Wallabies losing on the weekend, but let's get stuck. We actually tried to get some Irish people on the on the podcast, tried to get Murray back and all the rest of it. I think uh, he's still drinking from uh, Saturday night, so we couldn't get him on. But here are the five burning questions we're going to take you through tonight. Number one, so what went wrong? Number two, who stood out? Number three, what changes do we make, if any, for the third and final test of the series this weekend? Number four, should the TMO get back in his box? And number five, basically other thoughts on the rest of the test matches because it was another bumper weekend. Uh, so let's get stuck in exactly what went wrong. Actually, I'm going to go to you, Jamie, all the way from the US. Mate, what went wrong on the weekend? Uh, three things, discipline, intensity, and smarts. Uh, the discipline, 15-12 penalty count. We just kept giving Ireland lots of territory and useful possession. Intensity, uh, we lost the game line battle. Even in the first minute when we were attacking quite well, uh, we just weren't getting over the game line. And then smarts, which was summed up really nicely by how they managed the yellow card in the first half versus how we managed ours. Uh, they had theirs. They scored 13 points. We just kept giving them. 
useful field position and, and points opportunities and opportunities to run down the clock. And they did no more than run at the place where our yellow carded player had been defending. And then when we had that advantage, we still gave them the ball. We um, had kickoffs that were neither short enough to recover nor deep enough for us to put pressure on them. I mean, that really summed up the intellectual gap between the two sides. So I think it was those three things, basically. Yeah, you, you touch on those restarts. What the hell? I mean, how do we go from both the Waratahs and the Wallabies in the first test um, had, had some cracking restarts, uh, you know, with Israel Folau, and then suddenly this weekend seemed to be the same people bringing you the restarts as the people who brought you our exit strategy, which was to put a bomb up from our 22 onto just inside our halfway and then be surprised when um, they racked up some points. Um, it was completely brainless and really, really poor um, execution. Um, the, the, I'll come to you then, Hugh, mate. So that, that's Jamie's list of misery there. What, what, what have you got as far as what went wrong for us? Well, Jamie summed it up pretty well, I thought. Um, you know, oh, thank uh, you. To, to <laughs> they, yeah, I agree with me too. Much like England <laughs> in South Africa, he started well. It's just whether he can keep it up. Um the um, uh, stats went up today on MST's article, actually, in the top five on the front page and comparing week one to week two. And, and you know, the, it's pretty damning in the sense that, uh, you know, we only missed 18 tackles in the first week and, and last week we missed 34. Um, 11 penalties conceded in game one, 15 in game two. And, and you know, this is a, a, a series that's being played on really fine margins and, and uh, the Irish were definitely improved and uh, those statistics show you that we were probably a little bit of a step back and and um, that was the tail of the tape. And actually, um, t- to be honest, I was surprised we got as close as we did. I mean, to think that we had a, a chance to pinch it at the death and if the game had maybe gone on five more minutes, we might have actually stolen it is, is quite remarkable considering um, the, the class that Ireland showed and the amount of uh, territory and position that we just handed them uh, by way of you know silly penalties, mistakes in our own half, and and uh, just a, an inability to to turn over their balls. So, I mean, I, I think Ireland generally stepped up and caused a lot of our errors. They caused a lot of um, they suckered us into some uh, some pretty poor mistakes, um, and they did their homework. They came out and defended their high balls so much better. They caught it better. They put people in Israel Folau's running lines a lot better. And they didn't give David Pocock an opportunity at the breakdown. You saw guys like Furlong and Toner and, um, and Omani getting over the ball and attack and, and cleaning out really effectively. And and what that meant was they had quicker uh, – Conor Murray had quicker ball. We were on the back foot. And David Pocock barely got a chance to get over the ball. Uh, not to mention, you know, Payinga and Mosa and Samu and Hooper and Timu and these other guys that were doing it in game one. So, I mean, it was a pretty complete performance by Ireland. But, I mean, as I said, I take heart in the fact that um, somehow we almost pinched it. No, you're, you're right. And, um, and to be honest, <laughs> like it wouldn't be me on the Gruninger Rugby podcast I didn't have a whinge about something, was that that final – Turnover. How clearly was that a knock-on by Rob Carney in that final ruck um, that he had his hand in there and cleaned it out? And I can't believe literally the TMO was not the TMO. The assistant referee was stood right there. I don't know how that one didn't get didn't didn't get spotted. But look, if you if you if you're hoping to go the full length of the field to need to win the game, uh, you're not in a great spot um, from from that position. 
just chiming in with what you said there, yeah, I mean, they really managed to nullify a lot of our threats, whether it was Falau, um, then also, obviously, Pocock. I mean, in week one, we managed to get 21 turnovers from Ireland, um, which included, I think, about half a dozen from Pocock, and in week two, we only got nine. And, and I, I think that talked a lot about how we just didn't manage to interrupt them. We gave them far too much of everything, um, uh, you know, really their own way. The thing that set me back is, I'm interested in you, your guys' take on this one. What was really, really noticeable was the uh, our line speed and defence and how much slower it seemed to be in this test, whereas in test one, they were up and at them, closing all that space down, hitting guys just as they received the ball. This test, they seem to completely sit. They seem to sit back much more on their heels, and it was really interesting at half time. Um, I think it was. Um, uh, I think it was uh, the, the lock at half time um, uh, was giving the um, was giving our speech. Uh, to the you know to the interviewer and was saying that, that they felt that it was a, it was a lot more about how you know the Irish ten um, sexton was much better with you know, shipping the ball on or or holding the ball. Uh, how much did you how much do you think that was? I mean, I'll go to you on Jamie. How much do you think it was about how sexton was using the ball and how much was it that we just weren't turned on this time around with our line speed? I thought in the first five ten minutes or so our line speed was good. What made it fall off was we just weren't making the hits. Um, last week we had five big hits in the first 10 minutes, and in this match we didn't have one the whole game. So it was just that intangible sense of momentum that that, that we lost, you know, even by 10 minutes out. Um, you know, we were on the back foot. The hits weren't coming. We weren't winning that advantage line battle. Even pretty anodyne-looking carries were getting over the advantage line, and I think that sucked that, you know, we don't have a lot of experience with the blitz defense. We have almost none, in fact, as, an, as a rugby culture. And I think without that, without that boost, without that psychological boost, um, the pace fell off really quickly and you're spot on by about 20, 25 minutes out, the line speed had really dropped back. And that then provided opportunities for Sexton to play square to the line and distribute the ball and do those old school switches that he likes and, uh, and it just went from there. Mm, no, indeed. And, I mean, Hugh, you were talking about the tackle success uh, earlier on. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, week one, Australia 90%. Australia week two, 80%. So, you know, it's a full uh, 10% drop, whereas Ireland moved from 89 to 85. Um, and, and, and a clear, you know, uh, four more penalties uh, that Australia gave away, which we seem to give in just the same part of the field. We seem to just give um, Sexton sort of, um, basically, uh, kicking practice there. Um, look, so, look, I'll, I'll, I'll just on that. I mean, I'll, I'll repeat myself there, but I mean, talking about the line speed and talking about the missed tackles, it's it's really just a. I mean, to me, it is a product of the Irish being more accurate at the breakdown and giving themselves quicker ball. Um, and I think uh, I mentioned Furlong. Furlong is a huge reason for that. He's a fantastic operator in terms of his accurate, powerful cleanouts. But what that means is we we just don't have that extra split second to set ourselves and get off the line. We were and and that meant that we were instead of being uh, two steps ahead of the Irish, we were back on our heels. And what that then means is is you do slip off tackles. You can't force the game uh, like you can if you are slowing the, their ball down by two to three, four, five seconds of breakdown. 
um, you know, Ireland dictated the pace of the game this week, whereas we didn't, and, and the results were, were fairly predictable from that point. But it, it's worth knowing we only conceded two tries, and one of those was with Marika Korobiti in the sin bin. So I don't think the defensive performance was necessarily that bad. It was um, probably just the discipline and, and the few silly errors that we made that let the Irish into the game. Well, I think that's the other part of the equation, which is if you look at that first half again, we were actually holding Ireland relatively well. They'd get up to seven, ten phases, and they'd make a little ground, but not a lot. And then we just wouldn't back each other. The the players wouldn't back the guys either side of them, and someone would commit a really silly penalty and give Ireland the pressure release. But the reality was, even though we weren't winning the game line battle, our organisation, our structure was surprisingly, for us, was surprisingly pretty good. Um, you know, I, I, I really struggle to think about which was my favourite stupid penalty of the weekend. And uh, I think, unfortunately, Caleb Timu gets the, yeah. gets Is the, it the prize. Is it the taken without the ball? The taken without the ball was really dumb. Yeah. A, week, that was a, a week after we had a penalty taken out for that eva- exact offence. But there was also the slap down, the deliberate knock-on right in front of the posts. That was, you yeah. know, that, that was dumb. Well, what about Can the I... bizarre David Pocock running around the back of the ruck when it didn't look like it was out or anyone had played it or anything? Yeah. That was a, that was mental as well from a pretty experienced player. Particularly when we had 15 and they had 14 and we just said, oh, yes, no, let piggyback yourselves out of out of your half, please. And yeah. that, was what he, that was what he did. The Caleb Timu um, tackle without the ball was one of the dumbest I've seen because at least in Coleman's case, um, Ian Henderson, who – Coleman tackled. At least he looked like he was going to get the ball and was running at the line, you know, and I can sort of cop Coleman making a bad decision, but then making it count by putting a hit on, um, you know, that's, that's an understandable error. Um, but Timu just ran and clonked some bloke that wasn't even close to getting the ball and wasn't even moving. I mean, it wasn't even like he made a, a bad decision. He just, his brain disconnected from his body and he just ran and hit someone. It's just, was, yeah. was, was completely and utterly bizarre. Yeah, and then and, and then we sort of got a bit more of the ill discipline at the end of the game. And to be fair, you know, five of the eight forwards with which we finished the game had fewer than ten test caps, so that's going to happen. But that moment with about seven, eight minutes to go, where we had a maul about eight meters out, and Tupo just went straight in the front of the maul and made the ref, uh, you know, just made him make a really easy, correct decision. I mean, that was so stupid. It, I mean, it was the first time this season that a referee's penalised that, but <laughs> absolutely. Uh, but it was a it was a really good call, and yeah. you know, I mean, what are you supposed to say? I mean, you can't concede fifteen penalties in a game of Test rugby and expect to win. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing that um, I thought it was like the first ten completely summed up the the Wallabies uh, full stop in this you know in this sort of this checker period, which was came out and like that first try was just absolutely beautiful. Um, you know, they manipulated the line, Foley dragged across, Bill took that unders line, beautiful little pop pass, um, and then Bill scooted away. It was just absolutely sublime. Um, and I don't know if there's any other team in world rugby, uh, it's actually, so the Waratahs is a bit like this as well, you can play an absolute blinding first five to ten minutes and then – completely go moribund afterwards. Um, but the Wallabies managed to do it, and they did that sublime first five minutes. Um, but then the bit that actually made it far more checker-like or as, a, as, a, as a sort of period was then Corabetti went and completely unnecessarily 
dropped a guy on his shoulder, got himself a yellow card, and actually that was the beginning of the downfall because then the Wallabies just went, oh, shit, in our own half. And the Irish, as you said earlier in uh, the top of the show there, Jamie, they knew exactly what they were going to do, and they were just going to target that wing, and they were going to earn themselves a penalty every time they came to the half, and they were going to kick it. Um, and you just went, wow, you know, there you go. In that first, was it 10 minutes um, of the game, you'd seen the Wallabies, you know, in this period just completely um, demonstrated. And because that, how does a professional still do that, that Corabetti tackle? There's, you know, you know when you're tipping a guy and you know you're putting yourself in danger. I mean, it's not even like there was somebody else involved. It's not like it was at pace. It was not like there was anything else going on or, you know, he lifted the guy by the legs and was putting himself in danger. I still don't understand that. And there's, I don't know, it, it feels like it's, it's, it's a very, very wallaby thing we get ourselves into. Um, right. So that's what went wrong. And now, so who stood out, Hugh? Well, look, it, it, that's a bit of a tough question. I mean, I, I'll, I'll throw a, uh, there wasn't a clear standout for me from the Wallabies side. Um, I suppose the guy that I'll, I'll nominate is, is Adam Coleman. I think he just really put in a, a really good shift as he always does. And it looks like he's going to be fit to play this weekend, which is just such a huge boost to us because um, when he went off, it, it sort of um, took us a while to recover. And, and uh, just the way that he carries himself around the field, I just really like. And, and, in a game, yeah, where, where the Wallabies didn't really have any standout performers, I think he was probably the one I'd I'd, uh, I'd say stood out. And, and I thought the forward pack in general actually um, carried themselves pretty well. And, and my qualms were with probably the 10-12-13 the uh, combination in the backs and some of the decision-making there, include, and the wingers too, actually, for that matter. So, yeah, um, Coleman's, Coleman's my man for this game. Right Jamie? Uh, who stood out? Um, the Irish. Um, yeah, yeah. They were really good. Um, they they were. To, can we can we talk about that? I mean, yeah. like one I mean, to fifteen. They, they are were a really good rugby team that hold the ball and don't make mistakes. It's just what we knew that they were coming into this is exactly how they played. And and you know they they, they might not be the most scintillating attacking team, but God, Tyg Furlong's a great player. Connor Murray stepped up. Um, it was it was really good to see Rob Carney back in form. Um, yeah, Devin Tone is a really good player. Peter Romani took three great pilfers, probably outplayed Pocock. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I concur, Jamie. Okay, so Hugh's just done two lots of his favourite players, uh, and <laughs> I'm, I'm actually going to abdicate. I'll give one of mine to Hugh because that was beautiful. Um, so, yeah, that's me done. <laughs> well, I was going to go in the same direction. I was actually going to say I, I, I really struggled to come away with an Australian player that I thought uh, really stood out, uh, uh, you know, develop, and I think like Impact uh, scored a, a you know a try there, and he's looked back. Uh, short uh, distance is really really interesting. The question is, does he work his way up to the starting? And I think that's another conversation, which is up for the next question. And then I thought Tag Furlong. Suddenly, I saw what all the fuss was about. Um, He's an incredibly powerful player, making massive impact. There's, I think Murray Kinsella um, shared one of the cleanouts he made on Pocock, um, which was absolutely phenomenal. Um, probably one of the most impressive cleanouts you've seen um, from prop coming from distance. Um, then he managed to get himself over the whitewash as well. So I think he thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the plaudits he got. And 
yeah, I think from you know pretty much one to fifteen, um, the Irish um, shaded us and deservedly so. Um, all right, so if that's the case, and we're all sat around going, mm, no one exactly blew the hair back. Uh, here's the all important decider. Um, what changes do we make, if any? Uh, clearly, there's at least one that has to happen out of injury. Um, so, yeah, Jamie, I'll come back to you. Uh, well, I think apart from Phipps coming in, I think there'll be something at hooker. Um, Payanga Ramosa just didn't really get the job done. I, you know, Latu does offer a real dynamism, but he's a penalty magnet, and just watching him on the field in that second half made me a bit nervous. Uh, there was one chop tackle he did that the, the refs didn't see, but could easily have been a yellow card. He just he does not understand the concept of disciplined rugby, but I think they'll probably bring him in. Uh, and there'll probably be a change in the back row. I think Caleb Team has really struggled to gain ground in the thick of things, in the middle part of the field, rather than out on the fridges where he can use his pace. And uh, I think they'll probably look to bring in someone else. It's a you know good question as to who that is. They could bring in Lucan Tui, but Tui, frankly, looks a little short of, of gas for 80 minutes. Um, he looked pretty done by the, by the end of the other night, so it'll probably be Pete Samu, maybe even Ned Hannigan. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see. But I think those three changes will be the ones that they'll look to make. Okay. Hugh, you see any others? Yeah, look, I feel a bit for, for Caleb Timu because um, I think he's a good player. Like, I, I think, he, But he's had in two games, he's had pretty much one chance to run with the ball. And the times where he's been on, the, just the game hasn't suited his style. He's a big ball-running, meat-eating sort of guy. And, and to be sitting back in defence and having to graft like that, I just don't think it's his style. Um, so I'd put him on the bench and bring him on maybe with half an hour, 20 minutes to go and just unleash him and see if we can get a bit of a uh, a bit more energy out of him that way because I think that could be the answer to, to unlocking him and maybe it's it's Tui, Lucan Tui starting in his place. Maybe, maybe it's Hannigan, um, you know, with an acknowledgement that this game's going to play out very similar to to what the last game, the two games have. We're going to sit with 40% possession. Um, the Irish are going to dominate territory, and it's just about weathering that storm and and attacking and striking when we can, especially in that last 20 minutes, which both games so far has seen our, our bench players coming on and making a real impact uh, far greater than what the Irish have. For that reason, I'm not touching Tong and Thor, Tupo. I like him on the bench. His contributions late in the game are, are gold, and, and I think by... Uh, changing that up and putting him in the trenches for for 50, 60 minutes is, is it's it might be too early for that. Sokopi Kepi is doing really well at that, um, and Scotty Sio has probably been a bit quiet, but he's doing well at that as well. So look, I wouldn't be messing too much with this team if I'm honest. I can see a case for for, for putting Payngoromosa to the bench, but then again, I don't think um, he was that bad either. The lineout was pretty good. We, uh, we you know it was it was very much improved on. On last week, and we actually pinched a couple of steals as well. Um, so look, Isaac Rodder has been quiet, but again, I, I think he's putting in a good shift, and that's the type of guy we need out there in those minutes. Um, yeah, look, for me, I'm 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 going on the side of Ben Darwin and keeping the same team together, um, with the exception of probably Timu, because I think building those combinations another week, another week to get that understanding in defence and attack, it can only be a good thing. So. Um, I'm trying to keep changes to a minimum. I'm probably bringing in Tui for Timu, but that's about it. Okay. Yeah, look, and um, 
I think we saw very few changes from test one to, to test two. I think Checker would want to try and do the same thing if he's if he can. Uh, I think we know he loves the idea, or you know, did in the World Cup the idea of finishers and people who can make impact. Um, and I think that's what he's looking to develop there in that young, um, you know, that young front row. And 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 I think he'll continue to. To, to do that, I, I noticed that there's a big call, mainly out of people in Queensland, I notice, about Tong and Thor coming into the starting side. But I think especially when, you know, our starting uh, front row there is managing to keep that that scrum really stable um, against a pretty good Irish pack, I don't know why you'd want to why you'd want to play with that. And I really like, you know, Nutter a couple of weeks ago, I think after the first test, made the point that, um, you know, we've got this habit of throwing, uh, you know, young players in to the deep end far too early. And I think especially at places like prop, um, you're really asking for someone to get found out and then suddenly, you know, you've got to hold them on there and, you know, somebody's found out that actually he's overextended or whatever it is. You know, we've seen it happen to Wallaby props time and time again and suddenly they've got a reputation in world rugby, I think, giving... Um, Tupo more time uh, to kind of develop there, I think, is a smart move. And, and, and keeping him in the back pocket for that final half an hour where he can cause havoc, well, it's, it's been working. So I don't know why, we, why we'd look to change that. Um, right. So that's pretty much the, the match. And, and how, 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 ex- how exciting is it? I mean, let's just, just stop for a second and go, we've got a decider in a, in a simulating series. Mm. Um, you know, it's been top quality rugby. And um, it's going to go right down to the wire, and and you know it's 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 fantastic, and I'm not sure we're going to win, but uh, Christ, it's been um, a, a really really entertaining series, probably the the best I can remember for a long time in in Australia that I've seen a a spell a, a month or three weeks of of games with a narrative and 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 just a really sort of enjoyable back and forth games played in good spirit, no niggle, no. Um, nothing off the ball, no sightings or suspensions, just good quality, hard rugby that's been played by two good teams. You know, yeah, I... what is what is wrong with you, Cavill? Like, I mean, seriously, <laughs> what, what's entertaining is us winning 40 to nil and all of our players hitting form at the same time. You know, you sound like my dad when he used to watch the cricket when I was a kid and he'd be like, oh, it's so sad, you know, the West Indies come out and they get thrashed by an innings in all three tests, uh, you know. That's its own form of entertainment, and we want to see Australia win. What, what is wrong with you, Hugh? Well, I want to see <laughs> win, but I mean, it's more. I'm just more bemused at the fact that we're not facing a dead rubber in a home in a home series. It seems like it's been that way for a long time. I can't remember a, a game in Australia with actually something on the line. It's it's just well, weird. Well, what a change that is, right? So. What, where are those days back, Hugh, when we'd have people writing on the, on, on, you know, articles about how the Irish need to get back in their box and realise that they're not <laughs> oh, real, no. they're not real international pretenders. Um, and so, what happened? Have you noticed this on the weekend? Basically, the Irish beat us at home for the first time. Is it since 1979? Yeah, um, I yeah. believe is, is the thing. Not a whimper. You know, I mean, it, it kind of got mentioned once. I haven't seen anyone blow up about it. I haven't seen anyone talk about it. In most cases, I've heard people just go, wow, isn't it amazing we're actually in this series against the world number two? I mean, how many short years ago was it that the idea of us losing against the Irish or being underdogs against the Irish? I mean, you wrote two articles about it, Hugh, about how we all kind of went, look, you know, Irish, you know, plucky, 
Um, they can get their dander up, but they're really perennial losers. And here we are now basically getting schooled by them. Um, shows a lot about where how rugby's developed uh, and, and sort of where people have gone. But there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of hurt going around about, you know, that we've lost a home test against the Irish considering it was last in 1979. Um, but putting that to one side, I'd have to say, yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, I, um, this... I think just about every corporate in Sydney is going to this match. I think it's going to be whatever it is, 50,000 or 49,000 um, of Australia's or Sydney's uh, most valuable execs in this because I haven't talked to anybody, um, you know, in basically in business in Sydney who isn't doesn't seem to be going to this. Um, it's, it's quite remarkable. It's sold out. And, I mean, yeah, it shows the interest. I think, you know, that Malcolm Knox article he wrote at the beginning of this saying that this is actually the highlight of the rugby season in Australia. I think he's uh, completely right. It's completely captured everyone's imagination. Do you think you might be self-selecting a bit, Matt? That you know, when you go to a work, <laughs> when you go to a work meeting, oh, what a coincidence! You only end up talking to rugby fans. <laughs> the fact, that, you know, the 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 notion of uh, Northern Hemisphere teams coming down here, you know, it's it's much more competitive than it used to be, and that's partly because they have gotten better, but partly because they're sending better squads, um, yeah. and you know that the, the the um, they're playing and they're playing more games here, and also I think we've been a bit inoculated by three nil loss to England, loss to Scotland last year. You know, a collective series of disappointments in these sort of games that have have sort of I think um, knocked us down a few pegs. So we're just happy to turn up and be a part of it. Yeah, um, and I think that's no better demonstrated than. You know what Jamie said um, around uh, our management of yellow cards. Um, we're all the best sides in the world, know exactly how to manage it, and we seem to be just keep going in, our, in the same random direction. Yeah. Um, quick tap, it, quick it, tap. It, oh my it, god! It, it looked like we. That back. I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> it, it looked like we'd never practiced for a yellow card, but watching Ireland, I mean, the speed of their play, the 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 speed with which they walked to the kickoff and took their penalties was so slow. I mean. It was unbelievable how much time they were wasting. And that's exactly what you should do when you're down to 14 men. Like, that that's it. Um, and I think that that one moment just summed up the gulf between these two teams, um, that they seem to know what to do collectively and they make smart decisions, and we don't know what to do collectively and we make dumb decisions. Yeah. Okay. So, um, in here, now, so Hugh, you wrote an article uh, you posted on the website um, it was today or was it yesterday? Today. Today. And uh, I think what you're arguing in that is that in, in, in that uh, article is that the TMOs need to get back in their box. So talk us through the argument, mate. What, what, what did you put into this article of yours? Well, look, it's sort of something that, that I've been thinking about for the last couple of weeks. And, and you know, just as I went to the game in Brisbane, and last week I went to a friend's house and we had two TVs side by side, one on the rugby, one soccer. And, and I think the thing is, and it's sort of, I think it's been something that's brewing in me for a while, is just that the time it takes to complete a rugby game and the amount of stoppages are becoming ridiculous. Um, and the key culprit for me lately has been TMO stoppages. And, and judging by the reaction to the article, it's really struck a chord because I think a lot of people are thinking the same as me. Um, and what TMO stoppages are doing is just sucking the energy out of a game. 
and it's doing it three or four times a game and um, adding, you know, roughly 15 minutes onto the runtime of a fixture. And and in Brisbane, Matt, I'm not sure if you had the same experience that I did, but, you know, there's nothing played over the loudspeaker to tell you what's going on. You can't hear the deliberations. All that happens is the referee just wanders into the middle of the field, puts his hand on his ear and is sort of gesturing and talking to someone that you can't hear, the touchies sometimes come over and they have a big conference about it, uh, and you just sort of mill around for three or four minutes. And in that time, the energy goes out of the, out of the stadium. You sit down, you stop, um, you know, you, you talk to your friends, you go and get a beer, whatever it is. It's, it's just a, an unnecessary break in play. And, and I think coupled with what we've seen lately, which has been what I'd call some, a bit of overreach, to be honest, I'm, I think in, in the way it started out was, and now it just seems like we're kind of the domain of more run-of-the-mill foul play. And we saw that um, card to Jack McGrath, for example, um, on the weekend, which was for a hand in the ruck, and it was a cynical foul. And, yes, it's a yellow card, but, no, I don't think it's foul play. It wasn't dirty or particularly um, rough, and it's just something that has happened in rugby for, for time immemorial. And, and now it seems we have a, a five-minute TMO stoppage to deal with it. Same thing with the Adam Coleman um, incident the week before where, yep, you know, by the letter of the law, it's foul play and, and the guidelines are as such. And I'm not having a crack at the existing TMOs or referees because they're just following the rules. But, you know, I, what, it, what, what it's doing is it's slowing down the play. It's taking the energy out of a game and it's, it's ruining the occasion for people. And, um, and I think it's been echoed in a lot of the comments that people are feeling the same as I do. I think we need to go back. We need to embrace the imperfections of the game. We realize, we've got to realize we can't get everything right. Referees are going to make mistakes, whether they're on the field or in the box, um, and we've got to be okay with that. And um, we've got to go back to giving the referee power to call it in the game. And if not, if they miss things, that's fine. The judiciary can handle it if the touchies can't. So, look, that's that's the crux of my argument. And, and it comes back to us as fans. And, and, you know, this is the reason why we have TMO creep is because of the outrage when Craig Joubert um, misses a decision in the World Cup quarterfinal or um, there's something that's off the ball that's missed or there's a hand at the base of a ruck that in, impacts... Uh, a, a close game and you know the refs are understandably worried about missing those sort of things um but i think the solution that we've come up with is just strangling the game and mm. it, it's just sucking a life out of it so um enough's enough yeah i mean what they need is a, a bit more entertainment when you have the, the, the those um those card calls a bit like the entertainment we just had in the background of uh, of, of of you just there Hugh. any <laughs> listeners can name there, Jake? If any listeners can uh, can name uh, all the different things that happen in the background, I managed to catch a cat. Um, I, was somebody making popcorn? And I think someone had a glass of water. Um, Jamie, just going back to the TMO, I mean, you've, you've been a ref yourself. Um, wh- wh- what do you think we should do with the TMO? Wh- what should we be using them for? Yeah, I've just been talking this over, and obviously um, Bodhi, my cat, has a lot of strong opinions about the TMO, um, and, and I can't shut him up whether I want to or not. Um, and, and Hugh, I thought it was a great article. I just uh, I wasn't fully convinced because I needed about another 8,000 words of evidence um, to, to really bring the case together. Um, look, I, you know, I do like getting the calls right. I will say that. Uh and I like the TMO when the referee is checking in real time. Like often, you know, he'll be on the run and he'll say, hey, Paul, can you just have a look at that? 
And I'd love, I, I, I agree with you in one area, which is that the TMO is just taking too much time. It's um, allowing teams that want to slow down the play of the game to, to profit rather than those teams that want to speed it up. Um, and it really is just taking too long. I, I want them to get the calls right, but I want them to get it right quicker and faster. And I want it to be happening in real time. And we can't just keep slowing it down for every little thing. It's, uh, it's becoming a bit crazy. But I think the other problem is just the really dramatic expansion in the definition of foul play in the last couple of years. I mean, Curtly Beale had every right to be aggrieved when, you know, I think it was Rob Carney slid into his tackle and he hit him a couple of feet off the ground with sort of an arm over the shoulder and the TMO is having a look at it for a high tackle. And the TMO definitely did the right thing by saying, look, honestly, there's nothing in that. But a different TMO would have awarded a penalty. And I just think that these high tackle laws the way they're being enforced has just no bearing with how rugby is actually played. And we really need to change it before a really, really important game gets decided simply by these rubbish calls. Mm. Well, and we, I mean, we've seen some more of that drama, haven't we, over the weekend from the uh, All Blacks match um, where uh, we saw a red card um, against, against a French player, which, effectively, you know, I think a lot of people would say, you know, it's hard enough when you're playing the All Blacks at home, but when you look who's a player early in the match. Um, and, it, and it once again um, dramatically upset a, a match. Since then, um, I think the ref tribunal or whatever it's called has come back and said, actually, that wasn't a red card offence. So it's actually been it's actually been, been turned over as well. Hugh, have you seen that? Yeah, I have. And, and I think it was a – there's a whole other argument there that I was thinking about bringing into my article, but I didn't, which is about cards. And I said on Twitter, and I think it's an old idea. I wouldn't really claim. I think I did in the in the Twitter in the tweet. But you know, the <laughs> idea that we need to introduce a third sort of a, a, a third card, which is a card for some, an act that is um, unintentional but dangerous, and and that's where a lot of red cards are, are ending up at the moment. It's those sort of things. And, and look, I dispute in some ways world rugby's. Um, going back and looking at it with a fine-tooth comb, because at the time I don't think the decision was that controversial. Um, it comes down to a judgment call about whether um, the French winger was in a position to compete or not and a realistic chance of competition. Angus Gardner thought he wasn't. Um, others thought he was. And, and, and I think what the problem is there is the red card is too punitive a punishment for that particular action, regardless if you, if, if, of what side of the, of the argument you fall. Um, so the idea of an orange card or something that is, you know, it's a yellow card with a with a red element. So you're off for 10 minutes um, and then the player can be replaced, but he can't come back on. So it's still um, a yellow card, 14 on 15 for 10 minutes. But at the end of that time, a, a, a sub comes on. It's 15 on 15. It doesn't ruin the game, but the player is still punished for their actions. Um, you do need that red card still there in case of, you know, um, a complete brain snap like we saw in the Wales-Argentina game. Um, you know, a, a piece of malicious foul play with intent still warrants a red card, and I'm fine with that. But at the moment, I think we're seeing a lot of um, a lot of red uh, cards for actions that are unintentional, and they're dangerous, sure. Um, but in terms of the way that they kill a fixture, I mean, I think everyone, the collective groan um, when everyone saw that red card, for better or worse, that, well, that's the game over. Let's flick over to something else. And I think that's something that World Rugby's got to monitor because we, we want to police correctly and we want to make sure that, that uh, foul play is punished and dangerous play is punished. But um, at the moment, I just don't think they've got the balance right. 
I think the other part, I mean, I think the other part of it is that, I mean, there's just too much foul play being called. I mean, if you spoke to most people who, you know, real rugby fans a couple of years ago, I don't think a lot of people felt that the game had a lot of foul play in it. Um, by contrast, what it does have a lot in it is, is professional fouls, is deliberate fouls when the opposition is on the attack. And I think we should be using the yellow card more to punish that. I mean, we could make a new card and call it the black card because it's, you know, the all-black classic. Um, you know, <laughs> one team gets on the move in the 22 and Bowden Barrett, I'm just going to pick him out because he does it all the time, you know, reaches over the ruck and slaps the ball out. And there are just way too many refs who are like, oh, no, this is just a penalty you need repeat offences for this, which is not correct refereeing. You know, you can get a yellow card both for repeat offences and for um, deliberate fouls. And, you know, I thought, honestly, that early in the second half on Saturday when we committed, I think it was three penalties in a row within our 10-metre zone, like that's the time when I think referees should be more stringent with these yellow cards and say, look, the other team has earned this. Uh, they've turned down penalty goals to go for it. Usually it's us who are the ones attacking, but in this case we were defending. And I think the referee would have would have been within his rights to pull out a card and say, look, this is this is getting ridiculous. You're just not onside. You're not uh, on the goal line. You're stopping the other team from scoring a try. Okay, yellow card. Um, I'd like to see more yellow cards for that and less for the foul play. Yeah. Um, just going back to your, um, your bit there, Hugh, around... TMO usage, though, which is kind of where this started. I mean, like, I'm very much with you, I think, in that there's a whole range of offences there where, look, yeah, someone's missed it, but no one cared. And, you know, I thought the Coleman tackle was the best one ever, which was, you know, if someone had gone gone back and shown that video to an Irish fan afterwards and said, look, you know, how incensed are you? I think any reasonable rugby fan would said, well, it didn't affect anything. What's the difference? And so I think in terms of, You've got to remember rugby is a, you know, it's there as a spectacle. It's only there because people want to watch it, um, you know, at this level. And that's the only reason why they've got that amount of money and all the rest of it. So you're getting to a point now where you're kind of like, why are you actually, what's the point in doing that? Um, And as we both know how absurd it is anyway, because, you know, you can, you can, if you find tooth comb, you could find penalties both sides um, in any breakdown and in any period of play. So you've really got to start to ask, what is the point in this? And I think, that's the bit where we're kind of missing out. And it's, and it's, it's basically like, you know, the expansion of super rugby, you know, just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. And in fact, if you keep doing it, you'll probably kill the game. Um, and yeah, it's been a real, I've had a number of people say to me, wow. Yeah. I tuned into the rugby or whenever I did tune into the rugby, I was watching a TMO um, referral. Hey, what, what's up with that? Um, and yeah, so just, it's, it's just kind of got to crazy levels. I think it's something that uh, rugby really, really needs to get to grips with. I think actually, actually, I think Gosper's got something really on his hands there, um, as far as needing to sort out where is this product going, because um, I think he's got a, some big, big problems. Um, right. So that's the TMO looking to go back in the box. Um, final question: uh, What about other thoughts on test matches around the grounds? Um, Hugh, what did you catch up with? Well, look, I'll put my, my vote for the most, I, th- I think I said it last week, the most interesting series being played at the moment is England-South Africa. Um, and there's so much happening on both sides of the ball that it's it's um, really interesting to watch. And the test on the weekend was, again, very, very interesting. And it, um, it 
was a very similar sort of script with England scoring a couple of very soft tries early on and they were up 12-0 after about 15 minutes and it looked like oh here we go it's going to be um it's going to be a one-sided affair but South Africa fought back um and scored I think 23 unanswered points it 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 was uh it was a pretty amazing sort of game and and marred by some Jamie's just going hard again with the uh with the cat it seems um it's marred by some <laughs> some off-the-ball sort of stuff and, and a bit of niggle from both sides, and it really boiled over in the end, and it's not being played, uh, in a contrast to the series here, it's not being played in good spirit at all. It's It's been really quite frosty, and, and um, England have now lost five on the trot, which is just fantastic, and uh, the South Africans look pretty resurgent, although I've got to say my overall analysis, and I'm not sure if anyone else has seen this one, but I actually don't think either side is that good, um, and there's been some pretty... Um, shoddy tackling on display from both teams. Um, and I'd be interested to see come rugby championship time, how the Springboks line up because there's a lot of inexperienced players in that side. Um, and they're playing it some, with some enthusiasm at the moment, but I'm not sure when the physicality ramps up from uh, Australia and New Zealand that they will be able to compete. Yeah. I mean, that Springboks back line has got at least five poor tacklers in it. Um, and I think a, a, I think a, I think an All Black side is going to rip it a new one um, and, and rack up some big big points on it. Um, Jamie, did you manage to catch up catch anything else? Yeah, I did. I saw a, a fair bit of rugby. Uh, I was actually at USA Russia last week, which was pretty exciting uh, in, in Denver. And then uh, the USA turned it up against Scotland this week, who sent pretty much a, a hybrid of an AB team, but a good team. And uh, America got their first ever win against a tier one nation um, and played genuinely good rugby to do so. So that was pretty exciting. Um, also been looking a bit at the Junior World Cup, where our under-20s started the tournament terribly, looked awful in their first match against Wales, and ever since have looked really, really good. And um, in the playoffs, over the last week or so, they've uh, thrashed, I think it was uh, Italy, and then thrashed Argentina again to finish fifth. So, um, you know, not the world's worst performance from them. And, you know, they really looked better and better as the tournament went on. And I think it's clear that we need more prep. You know, all the European sides play an under-20s tournament uh, earlier in the year, so they really know each other. They know the systems. And, you know, for us, it's the same story every year that we only hit our straps halfway through the tournament and when we do we're very dangerous and we can take on anyone and uh you know credit to the boys they get a lot of uh criticism the under 20s but uh they put they put some good stuff together so well done to them we get we get stitched up by the competition structure don't we can't they put quarterfinals the in that structure the competition structure is terrible uh yeah. there's no question about that you lose one game and you're gone. Um, and often we'll and, – and it seems like, again, we've drawn England in the pool for next year's event and they're generally one of the stronger teams. We probably will play them first up and lose, and that's the game. You know, it's, it seems a bit ridiculous. It seemed to me we also managed to uh, – we also managed to send over, I think, a few super players halfway through the tournament. Didn't a few Rebels t- players joined them or, or something like that. I thought I yeah, could absolutely. Up with um, so yeah, and it so made it suddenly had a drastically different team. Yeah, it made a big difference. And, you know, the surprising thing was uh, some of those guys had been involved in the early setup, but they hadn't played, obviously, with the under-20s for, you know, a month. And yet, even so, they were able to drop those guys in, you know, on game day, and they're able to have a positive impact this tournament in a way that other countries do, and realise that this is really the gateway for 
for future player development. I mean, that's I mean, that's how Jordan Uelasi came on Michael Checker's radar was last tournament. He looked better else on the field. Um, but there would have been no reason for him to have been on Checker's radar before that tournament. And it's really important that we give these players the opportunity to play together, that we give them the opportunity to win against these other countries. And, um, you know, we just need to prioritise it more. It's that simple. Mm. So, the, as I understand it, the uh, you know the French went on and won, and won the other twenties, didn't they? They did. They did. Um, and so, you know, so you've got the French doing that, and then actually, I, I thought in the second test against the Kiwis, considering they you know lost a, a man relative relatively earlyish, um, you know, they, they held them to a decent scoreline. Was it twenty six fourteen something like that? I want to guess that was kind of in that ballpark. Um, it definitely wasn't the shellacking that we've seen before. And now the French did something. Now, I, I came across, I don't know if anyone else has seen this, there's a, there's a, 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 you can follow them on Twitter. It's called The 1014. So their hashtag, or their, sorry, their, their handle is at The1014Rugby. It's also a blog. Um, it's a bunch of Irish guys, not who Murray seems to recommend on Twitter. And, and I'd follow them. But they've got a great article in there talking about how you beat the All Blacks. And one of the things they talk about is you watch the All Blacks sort of transition zone uh, defence or their pillar defence from any ruck, and they deliberately spread it very, very wide um, so that they can get more coverage across the field. But it leaves some real holes around that ruck, and if anyone peels off, takes a couple of defenders, you've instantly got um, some big spaces. And he was basically saying when anybody's, you know, most people when they're um, successful against the All Blacks, they spot this and they kind of target it. The French, if you watch them, especially when they were down a man on the weekend, they did not bother going outside a 15-man ch- channel, really, uh, the 15-metre channel from from the ruck, and they just kept it tight. And, and you know, and the French can do that beautifully when, when they're on form. And they really, really troubled the All Blacks. Um, and, you know, big, powerful back row, um, really battering them. I, I think they started to put down a bit of a, a game plan there. I thought it was very interesting. And uh, I think a lot of people came more, you know, Came away. I mean, as usual, the sort of the commentators, they were happy they got a win so then they could start talking up the opposition. But I think there was some genuine worry in there was that they didn't have it all their own way and that there was a few flaws um, that, were, that, that were shown in there. Did either of you guys manage to see much of that match? Yeah, it was a really good game. Um, I just want to quickly give a shout out to the legions of New Zealand rugby columnists who um, – who looked at last week's tackle with when Offa Tungafasi and Sam Kane did the one-two job on yeah. Remy Grosso's head and fractured his skull in two places. Um, the legions of columnists who looked at that and were like, oh, that wasn't too bad. There was no red card in that. I, I mean, I like to think that we are both, uh, we are all serious fans of Australian rugby, but can also be self-critical and we give a lot of credit to any team that is not England or New Zealand. But, some of these New Zealand rugby fans, I just don't know what I don't know what what brings them joy in life, um, because that tackle was a, a horrific act of violence on a rugby field. Um, you know, a guy broke his skull in two different places, um, and they can only turn around and say, "Oh, you know, this wasn't that bad." The All Black coaching staff says, "Oh, you know, we don't get the rub of the green from the referees," and "Oh, the you know that was just a just a wee bit high," Steve Hansen said. I mean, this is just, it's just sad. It's just sad mm. to see how, how, how blinded these guys are by a myth of all black perfection that does not exist. It's, it's just a myth. 
and of moral superiority because that was that was a moment that was that could have necessitated a double red card which I've never seen before in a rugby field it was just horrific and you know it's sad and the French did really really well I thought last weekend to turn around come back and not conclude oh everything's up against us we're just going to fall apart but actually exactly as Matt said they really stuck to it and they really put together a meaningful game plan even with 14 players and and held New Zealand and and scored a scored a late try that they fully deserved um you know it was impressive it was an impressive show of character from an international team that is not known for impressive shows of character yeah, and look, it wasn't just that uh, red card that didn't kind of go there, you know, rubber the green didn't go their way. There was a couple of tries in there that they kind of damn near um, scoring, probably correctly didn't, um, but um, literally people getting over the line, just, you know, not holding onto the ball or having to make a bit of a double, you know, borderline double movement to get there. And, you know, another 10, 14 points, and that was a very, very different match. So... Yeah, considering what they are down to, that was actually quite a gallant French display. I think there's a lot to take out of that. I mean, Jamie, I think you're very, I think you're right about that incident. That that's quite a bizarre incident, the one that we saw, and, and then yeah, what the, the sighting off. Was it even sighted? I'm trying to remember now. Um, no, it wasn't. Say, it wasn't sighted. It wasn't yeah. sighted within the window, and then in the middle of the week, the outcry was so sharp that World Rugby issued a warning, which is a completely different thing. Um, so that's not on his record. There's no previous record of foul play. There was no effect on the field. There was no suspension. Yeah, well, and I th- this is another thing that I think Brett Gosper's got a big problem on his hands, which is that if we continue to have these sorts of things, at the same time, they're talking about, well, they're trialling not tackling above the nipples. Um, and yet you can have an incident like this go absolutely scot-free. I, I, I don't get it. I don't, you know, if, what is he, you know, what is he looking to put in place? If he's, you know, if it's about protecting people's heads by not having people tackled above the nipples and then you get somebody basically have his skull fractured and nothing happens, um, you've got pretty mixed messages there. And I think it's, you know, it's it's pretty clear. I mean, it, like in a court of law, I think someone would come back and say, quite clearly, you were never serious about this. Look at what you didn't do here. Um, so anyway, I th- that's two things I think. Getting two things that are getting away in world rugby right now um, around their product is sort of like a hypersensitivity in some areas, and then a complete blind spot in others. And 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 the, the hilarious sort of troll factory that starts coming out of New Zealand, where I think Gregor Paul writes his article, which I didn't even bother reading, which was you know headed something about um, you know how victimised um, New Zealand rugby is by world rugby, um, which is the biggest laugh you could imagine. Um, is 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 quite bizarre. Um, Hugh, any any sort of final comments about what's around the traps? Um, no. Are no, you getting are you getting along this weekend? Yeah, I, I think uh, I am. I will be there. I will be looking forward to it. I think I somehow edged through the throng of CEOs and corporate heavies. Well, um, and as, and your mates at the top end of town. As and, a white uh, private schoolboy, mate, I'm sure you know that you, <laughs> you were straight in. <laughs> Look, I'll, I'll be in the I'll be in the classic attire of the blue shirt with the RMs and the jeans, uh, wallaby <laughs> scarf in, 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 at the ready, and uh, well, in, in case we win, <laughs> of course. Um, and it's look, it's been absolutely belting down with rains today today in Sydney, but it's supposed to be uh, fine up by the weekend. So let's hope it is going to be a cracker and the wallabies to 
win um, 126 to nil. Okay. Um, and now give me your um, actual prediction, Jamie. Yeah, I think we might win by a couple. Uh, I think it's all down to just that uh, that intangible confidence in the team and uh, hopefully, you know, psychological master checker will be working on that. Um, you know, he really reminds me of a bit, a bit like a cult leader. Um, but it's just that, you know, I think we've got the skills to beat this team. I think uh, we've got the tactics, you know, we scored two tries from two entries into the 22 on the weekend, which is pretty impressive. Um, we just need to stick it together. It's that simple. Mm. So uh, fingers crossed that the, uh, the RM Williams crew and the, the Shiraz crew can get them across the line. <laughs> Hugh? Yeah, look, I, I'm not as confident. I think Ireland um, showed their class in, in game two and probably just got a bit more of that big game experience on their side, just a bit more experience where it counts. Um, and uh, I think it might just come down to Johnny Sixton's boot. And if we can give him uh, kickable penalties time and time again, then he's going to take those chances. And, and I will tip uh, Ireland by five um but wouldn't as as i said last week no result would surprise me do, do you want to try that again hugh o'cavill do you want to, <laughs> want to maybe well i'm just trying to not to mock that i'm not trying to uh pro, provoke the wrath of the rugby gods you know i talk it down <laughs> we talk it down and then uh you know we we celebrate success all right. Well, look, I'm not going to uh, cast, put the casting vote in here. I'm going to let the listener do that. You can decide whether you want to see this as a glass half full or glass half empty. Um, and, uh, look, we'll see you at the other end, hopefully next week, where if we've won, you never know, you might have Reg back. So thanks, guys. Thanks for joining. No worries. Thanks for having us. And uh, thanks for all the listeners for letting us uh, come into your ears uh, on, on, on this fine midweek podcast. Um, see you next week. Heels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Gregan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a beer.